You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. quiet as we stand here. Let's continue in worship of the Lord that we've just been adoring. Just consider that last line of the song. I will love you, Lord my God, all of my days. Father, we admit this morning, Lord, that we love you. But Lord, we admit this morning that our love pales in comparison to your love and that the love that we have for you would not even be possible apart from the love that you first showed us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we come this morning fully dependent on you, Lord, fully looking to you. Lord, would you recharge that love that is in our hearts this morning, Lord? Would you cause us even today, Lord, to bow in greater depths of worship and adoration of you? Lord, would you exalt your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning so that we may see by faith his glory and be changed? Oh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to move here in power this morning. Lord, come and do what only you can do, Lord. Set our eyes on Jesus. Change us, Lord, so that we may exalt in you and in you alone. Lord, as we open your word, Lord, we don't ask for you to do a light thing this morning. We don't ask for you to do anything that we can do this morning. But Lord, we ask for you to do what only you can do. Teach us from your word in our souls. Show us who you are, Lord, and help us to leave this place beholding you, delighting in you, satisfied in you. Lord, lead us in this, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat this morning. My name is uh, Brett Patterson, and I'm on staff here at Harvest Niagara as the pastor of discipleship. And it's really a joy to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. And if you have a copy of God's Word in your hand, you can go ahead and open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some ushers coming down the rows right now. Just put your hand up nice and high. We would love to get a copy of the Word of God into your hand. And as we always say, if you don't have a copy of God's Word at home, take this one with you. It's our gift for you. It's not stealing. We're giving it to you. So take it and read it and discover who Jesus is and see him and know him and your life will be radically changed and transformed. And so we invite you um, to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this morning, we're really going to focus in on verses 17 and verse 18 this morning. We're going to read a little bit more than that just to grasp the context in a moment. But this morning's message is really a message about change. It's a message about change. And even as I say that, I see some of you out there starting to kind of squirm and fidget a little in your seats. And maybe you're the person that really doesn't like change a whole lot. Uh, Maybe actually you're the person that kind of hates change. You're like, all right, I'll change my clothes. I'll change my sheets. I'll change my snow tires. And that's it. Nothing more. If life would just stay the same for the rest of my days, I would be happy. Maybe you're that person this morning. But maybe you're the person that really invites change and loves change and you thrive in change. Listen, it really doesn't matter whether you like change or you don't like change this morning. No matter where you find yourself on either of those spectrums or in between this morning, that's not super significant for this message. 
But what is super significant for this message is the fact that not one of us in this place currently should ever be content or satisfied with our current level of sanctification. God's goal in our lives is to change each one of us, every single believer in Jesus Christ, to change that person into the image of Jesus Christ, to make them like Jesus. And not one of us is there yet. I'm not there yet. Are you there yet? No. I didn't hear any no, so, but, but I'm going to say no for you, okay? All right? <laughs> so no, you're not there yet either. None of us are there yet. And so therefore, we shouldn't be satisfied or even content with our current level of sanctification. And so this morning's message is a message about change. We all need change. We all seek change. But do we all actually change? That's the hard question this morning. It's easy to go after the peripheral, external changes, but do we all really change internally? Are we transformed and being transformed? So in the message this morning, really, um, we're not really going to necessarily nail down the ways that we need to change. I think that's pretty obvious in some ways. I think if you and I were just to look at our last week or we were to look at our besetting sins over the course of our life, the stuff that shows up time and time again, it's pretty obvious that we need to change. We need change. There's a problem in our lives, something that needs to be solved and needs to be fixed. So we're not going to primarily focus on what needs to change this morning, but what we are going to focus on is how we actually change. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians because right here in a very compact space, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration and the leading of the Holy Spirit, unpacks for us God's plan for change. And so this morning, this this passage is really, you know, if I were to kind of sit down and write out a plan for change, I can't say that it would be exactly as this passage is, and my plan for change would crash and fail every single time. But listen, this morning, God has laid out His plan for change in our lives. That's significant. That's important. And so this morning, what we're really going to do is we're going to unpack these two verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. We're going to unpack that and discover what biblical change looks like and how it takes place in our lives But before we do that, let's take a look at the text. Let's read in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Let's read from verse 12 all the way down to the end of verse 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you catch it? Right at the end of that passage, right in verse 18, God gives us His plan for change in our lives. As we dig into this this morning, 
we're going to see a couple of things. We're going to see three points, really, from this passage. We're going to focus in on the second one. We're going to spend a fair bit of time there as we unpack the change process. But here's the first thing that we need to see this morning. God's process for lasting change in my life requires, point one, believing firmly in His promises. God's process for lasting change in each of our lives requires believing firmly in His promises. It requires that we trust His promises. Now notice the amazing promise that's here, that's in verse 17. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? God has secured our victory in Jesus Christ. He's accomplished it through the righteousness of Jesus' life and through his death on the cross and then through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God has accomplished our victory. Listen, the clear teaching of the New Testament is that every single believer at the moment of salvation receives the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? The Holy Spirit, think about that for a moment. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a personal being. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is God. And every believer at the moment of salvation receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means the moment that you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, resides within you. Wow. That's powerful. Wow. That's awesome. Look at this. Look at what it says in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's a powerful statement. Make the connection here. Here's the connection. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have freedom. We have freedom, okay? We have victory because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If He's in here, then that means that I have freedom. Listen, believer, you've got to believe this. You've got to trust this. You've got to bank on this. Even in those times of uncertainty, even in those times of doubt, even in those times when your feelings maybe aren't coming along with everything that you know to be true, you've got to stop You've got to trust God's word. You've got to trust God and you've got to say, God said it, that settles it. That's it. He said it. It's true. He's not going to lie. He's not going to backtrack on one of his promises. He's not going to retract them. God said it. That settles it for my life. We've got to believe firmly in his promises. Notice the promise that is here. It's a promise. It's, it's kind of more of a statement, um, a statement of fact that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if the Spirit of the Lord is there, there's freedom that comes with it. Well, maybe you say, well, I'm not really sure that every believer gets the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Can you, can you prove that from the Bible? Absolutely. It's right in the Bible. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. You can write that down if you like. Ephesians 1, 13 says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There it is right there. When you heard the word of truth and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
think that we can all be honest and we can all say that we've had seasons in our lives and maybe we're in a season right now where it's tough, it's dry, you're kind of going through the motions, you're kind of striving and, and toiling and just not firing on all cylinders. Can we be honest? Can we say that together? I think we can say that, definitely. We've all had seasons like that. And we've all had seasons, if we're believers, where we could say that we are, we're saved, we're certain we're saved, we're saved, but we're stuck. We're in a rut. What is it? What is it that gets us out of that rut? Is it, is it more effort? Is it more, I got to just work harder at this, I just got to pull up my bootstraps, I got to just get after it, and I just got to try to be a better person, I just got to put on a smiley face? Is, is that it? Is that what gets us out of the spiritual rut? No. I want to invite you this morning to really look again with fresh eyes at what the Lord says is the power for change in our lives. Here it is in a nutshell, right here. Point number two. First of all, we need to believe firmly in His promises. Second, this is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Second, God's process for lasting change in my life requires beholding Jesus' glory continually. That's the phrase that we want to unpack this morning from this passage. It, it involves believing in God's promises, but it, it, but it involves beholding Jesus' glory continually, moment by moment. Listen, here it is, just in simple words. We are changed, changed, changed from the inside out as we gaze intently on the glory of Jesus. That's, that's a huge point for us this morning, and I pray that the Lord would really help us over the next few minutes to unpack all that that is. But we are changed moment by moment as we gaze intently on the glory of Jesus. Listen, change doesn't come through simply trying harder. You can accomplish a lot of external kind of peripheral change through trying harder. You can become a better person to a certain degree. You can make everybody else think great things about you through trying harder. You can maybe even gain some traction for a little while on an addiction through trying harder. But listen, through trying harder, you can't change what's broken on the inside. Here's the reality this morning. In this passage, Paul is comparing the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law with the new covenant in Jesus Christ. He's comparing these two things, and he says, if the old covenant, the old testament came with this glory, how much glory does the new covenant have? How much glory does Jesus have? Listen, the law, the old covenant, was powerless to solve the sin problem that we have within us. That's the veil that he's talking about. When he talks about a veil being over the face, he's talking about the veil of sin, the veil of sin that blinds people who don't know Jesus from seeing the truth. That's the veil that blinds. And when one person turns to the Lord, whenever they turn to the Lord, that veil is lifted and they see Jesus like they've never seen him before. They not only see him through faith, but they love him and delight in him and adore him. And that's the change that we're talking about this morning. It's the change that comes through setting your gaze on Jesus and staring 
at him through faith. This morning, I pray that the Lord would really lead us in this as we, as we dig into what this really looks like, what this really means. Listen, there is a huge difference between self-effort, trying harder to be a better person, and setting your gaze on Jesus Christ and inviting Him to control your life from the inside out. There's a world of difference. Anybody can try harder. Anybody can work at being a better person themselves, but only a believer who loves and delights in Jesus will be changed from the inside out as they gaze on Him and behold His glory. And so this morning, really, we're going to take some time to try and unpack what it means to actually behold the glory of Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? But before we even do that, I just want you to take a second right now, just in your seat where you are right now, just do a little heart test. Right now, as you think about your life, as you think about your aim, your goal in life, would you say that your goal right now is to actively seek to behold the glory of Jesus every day? When you open up your Bible to read your Bible, is, is that the intention? Are you actively seeking to see and behold Jesus' greatness, to see how awesome and how powerful he is? Or listen, are you coming to your Bible just hoping that maybe you'll find something that will help you a little bit? Or maybe you're opening your Bible just to get the check mark in your book, right? Or are you coming to the Word of God with the intention and the desire and the prayer of Lord Jesus Show me more of who you are. Show me your glory. That's the end goal of the Christian life, isn't it? The end goal of the Christian life is to see Jesus and be fully satisfied in him. That's what we're going after. Listen, I don't know what you think heaven's going to be like, okay? I know that we're not going to be like those little chubby angel things floating around on clouds shooting arrows. I know that for sure, okay? But I don't know what you think heaven is going to be like. Um, but in heaven, the primary delight the best thing that there's going to be is to be fully delighted in Jesus Christ. Now, there's going to be a lot more to heaven than that. You know, the description we have in Revelation is heaven is much like a, a big city, right? And there's lots of things happening in this city. But the central focus, the central theme, the highlight of all of heaven is the face of Jesus Christ and his glorious brightness that we will behold for all of eternity. That's going to be what's awesome about heaven. Listen, to be honest, if, if there was no Jesus in heaven... Heaven really wouldn't be all that great at all. It wouldn't even be worth really going to. So Jesus is the focus of heaven. But listen, Jesus is so much more the focus of heaven. He's the focus of the Christian life right now. And the goal of the Christian life is to get our eyes on him. And as we get our eyes on Jesus, we are changed. There's a lot of things that you can do that won't bring about change in your own life. True change, deep in your life. But the one thing that will bring about change for sure is by focusing your gaze on Jesus Christ. When you do that, you will be changed. And so right now, even ask yourself, are you seeking at this time to see your soul satisfied in Jesus Christ before your feet hit the floor in the morning and before your head hits the pillow at night? Is, is, is that the goal of your walk? Is the goal of your walk to delight in Him and to be delighted in Him even before you get up in the morning and to be delighted in Him before you fall asleep at night. You know, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for many things here in this church, but one of the things that I'm most thankful for here in this church is our leaders and our other staff members, and especially for our senior pastor, Daryl, um, who 
as meeting with a couple of these guys a few weeks ago, really helped me to see that my time in God's word was not being focused around delighting in Jesus. It was focused around a lot of other things. My time in God's word was, and I was in God's word very consistently, maybe more than I have been in the past, and my time in God's word wasn't focused on seeing Jesus. It was focusing on finding some helpful things that would lead me to change. And graciously through Daryl's leadership and David's leadership as well, um, they just helped to point these things out in a way so that I could actually see it. And then graciously, by God's grace, make some changes to get back on track. But listen, this is it. This is the track that we need to be on right here. The track we need to be on is the goal of My Bible reading, the goal of attending church, the goal of Christian community, the goal of all of these things is to see Jesus Christ more clearly and delight in him more fully. That's the goal. That's the goal. And so this morning, let's get after this. Let's begin to really break down what this actually looks like as we do this. I just want to say one more thing about why this is so important. I love what John Piper says about seeking to be satisfied in the Lord. He's written books and books about that, um, but he says this line, and I love this line. I think it's helpful for us. He says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long-term than to gain a distaste for it because of, superior, because of a superior satisfaction in God. If you're in a rut today, if you're a little bit stuck today, if sin and the temptations of this world are tastier to you than God. Let that quote sink into your heart this morning. I know of no other way to triumph over sin long-term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in God. Listen, if you want to find a superior satisfaction in God, you need to continually seek to catch a fresh glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what you and I need more than anything else. It's what we need. And so this morning, if we're going to talk about seeing the glory of Jesus Christ, if we're going to talk about seeing the glory of Christ, beholding and being changed by his glory, then we need to ask a couple important questions this morning. Two important questions that I think will really help us here. First of all, what is the glory of the Lord? What is that? What do we mean when we talk about the glory of the Lord? We talk about the glory of the Lord often, but could we really define it? Could we really nail it down if somebody asked us, what's the glory of the Lord? What does that mean? Second question, after we understand that, we need to know how we behold it. How do we behold the glory of the Lord? What does that mean? So let's start with the first one. First question, what is the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord in some ways is a little bit tricky to define, a little bit difficult to define. I got a, quite a bit of help here from John Piper and John MacArthur on this. Um, and they said, and I, I shortened down some of their quotes because they were pretty lengthy, um, but, but here's, here's a, a good working definition of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It's the going public of his holiness. It is the way that he puts his holiness on display for people to grasp. It's the manifest, it's the manifest presence of his holiness. It's the going public of his holiness, and it's the way that he puts his holiness on display for people to grasp or to apprehend. 
So God's glory. Think about God's glory in the Old Testament. And when we think about God's glory in the Old Testament, one of the main places that we see God's glory, we see when the temple is consecrated under Solomon, we see the glory of the Lord come down and fill the temple. And there's a cloud. And the people knew that God was present there in that place, that this was a significant moment. And if God was present, then all of his holiness was present as well. That was the glory of the Lord that did that. Or think of Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6. That's a great one. To meditate on. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, he's caught up in this vision before the throne of God and he sees the glory of the Lord. Wow. He's transformed in a moment. It's amazing. He sees the train of the robe of the Lord, his glory filling the temple. And it's just an incredible scene as you read it. And what does Isaiah notice right away? Isaiah notices the glory of the Lord and he notices his own sinfulness. And he cries out, woe to me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm of a people of unclean lips. Listen, when you see the glory of the Lord, you immediately see your own sinfulness, and you immediately seek the Savior's grace. And that's what, that's what Isaiah did right there in that passage. And if you want a pretty incredible little Bible study this week, go read Isaiah chapter 6 and then flip over in the New Testament to John chapter 12. And read the, the end of John chapter 12. And right there at the end of John chapter 12, the Apostle John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, unpacks who Isaiah actually saw right there. I'm not going to give it to you right now, okay? No spoiler alert. I'm not giving it to you. You go dig into it for yourself, okay? Amazing. Amazing picture of the greatness and glory of our Lord. But listen, another powerful demonstration of glory has got to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples, they see his glory. It shines through. In a moment, there is a bright cloud. You don't see bright clouds very often. And the disciples are just in, they're in awe. They're in awe and they're amazed. And there's Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus and they're seeing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ break through in that moment. Their eyes are open to it. And, and Peter, in that moment, he's all excited and he just blurts out, Lord, you want us to build some huts so we can stay here? And Jesus is very gracious, but says, well, not really, actually. I, I want you to see my glory so that you will be changed and so you will go and get on with the mission that I have for you. Paraphrase, obviously. Okay, But that's what happens. They don't stay there. They were never meant to stay just up on the mountain. They were meant to be changed as they saw his glory to go and be what he has called them to be. Listen, the glory of the Lord is the sometimes visible, not always, display of his holiness, of his greatness, of his sum total, of his perfection. That's the glory of the Lord. But how do we behold the glory of the Lord? How do we behold it? Because when we read the Bible, we read of people that saw things. They saw visions. They saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfigurations. Is that how we behold the glory of the Lord today, primarily? I'm going to say no, not primarily. That's not how we behold the glory of the Lord today. So how do we behold the glory of the Lord today? 
Here's a, here's a little bit of a summary right here on the screen. By faith, the primary way we behold the glory of Jesus is through God's Word. It's through God's Word. Today, the primary way that we behold the glory of Jesus Christ is through the written, inspired, inerrant Word of God. That's where we see it. That's the primary way. Now listen, there are other ways. I didn't say it was the only way. We can see God's glory in creation to a certain degree, can't we? Absolutely, we can. We can see God's glory in creation. Romans 1 tells us that. We can see God's glory in the lives of other individuals as they're being changed and transformed to be more like Jesus. There are other secondary way, ways that we see God's glory, but the primary way that we see God's glory is through His Word. Now, this morning, there's a couple things that I hope will be helpful for us here as we unpack what it actually looks like to see the glory of Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Here's a couple things. Many of these will just be review for most of you, but we need to say them anyway. First of all, we see the glory of of Jesus in the Word through reading and studying the Word of God. Now listen, it's not just enough just to read the Word of God. It's good to read the Word of God, but it's not enough to just open up your Bible, breeze through a little section, read a few verses, you know, get your check mark for your Bible reading plan on your ESV app, and, and then move on from there. That's not enough. That's not life-changing. That's not transforming. That's a start in the direction. But notice we say here, reading and studying. It's contemplating what you actually read. It's digging in to make sure that you understand it correctly. Reading and studying God's Word is a starting place for beholding the glory of Jesus in the Word. Here's the next thing. Beyond reading and studying is meditating and memorizing God's Word. Listen, one of the best ways to hang on to God's Word and keep it with you every single day as you're going about your day is to memorize God's Word and hide it in your heart or to write a verse out on maybe a little slip of paper and just take it with you during your day or put it on your phone so you see it every time you pick your phone up. And so then you can just meditate on the Word of God as you see it. Listen, meditating on God's Word and memorizing God's Word is essential if we want to see the glory of Jesus every single day. Now listen, meditation is not the weird thing that, you know, society and the world makes it out to be today. It's not this emptier mind of everything garbage. It's not that. Meditating on God's Word is really simply focusing on a truth of God's Word, applying your mind to it, and inviting God to press it into your heart. That's meditating God's Word. And memorizing God's Word is not impossible. We can do that if we really ask the Lord to help us and put ourselves to it. Those are a couple things right there, but then moving beyond that even is the next two things, praying and applying God's Word. If you want to see the glory of Jesus in the Word, I really believe that you need to pray the Word, and you need to pray over your time in God's Word and ask Him to open your eyes to see the glory of Christ as you read your Bible, and you need to seek to see God's Word applied to your life. I want you to think about this just for a second right now. When you open up your Bible every day, and I, I pray that we're all there. 
I pray that we are opening our Bible every day because we won't see the glory of Jesus if we don't, if we leave it closed. But as you open up your Bible every single day, when you come to the Word of God, when you sit down with knife and fork in hand ready to devour it and dig into it, what is the goal of your Bible study? Is the main goal of your Bible study that you will find one or two helpful things that will make you live a little bit better of a Christian life that day? If, that, if that's it... If that's all of it, I think you're missing a large part of what God really has for you in the Word of God. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's a secondary thing. But if we were honest, if we did a show of hands right now, how many of us would actually say, when I come to the Word of God, I just want to learn something and I just want to see it applied to my life? I think if we said that, that's okay, but that's secondary. Okay, it's not wrong. That's, we need to Look at what God's word says and seek to see it applied to our lives. But the primary thing that we should be doing when we come to God's word, the number one thing is we should be sitting down, opening up the word and saying, Lord, show me your glory today. God, I know it's here. I know it's on every page of this Bible. Open my eyes to see it. Because right now, I'm dry, I'm blind, I don't see it clearly. Jesus, I know you're glorious. Show me again with fresh eyes just how glorious and awesome you truly are and show it to me specifically in a concrete place in your word so that I can go out from here and share that with someone else. Listen, wouldn't that radically, radically change your time in God's word if you came with that approach every day? You know, a little while ago, I think I I got away from this largely and I was seeking to see God's word applied in my life and be in the word, but I wasn't seeking to see Jesus and uh, it wasn't long before things got pretty dry and pretty stale and pretty tough pretty quick. So I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you to really, this last point right here, intentionally seek to see and delight in Jesus. When you come to God's word, come intentionally seeking to see and delight in Jesus. Listen, this doesn't mean that you can only read the New Testament. This doesn't mean that you can only read the red letters. Listen, I think one of the most encouraging examples of how we can see Jesus in the Old Testament is is given through the disciples as they're on the road to Emmaus. I love that story. I love that moment. After Jesus' resurrection, there's two disciples. They go nameless. They're walking down the road to this place called Emmaus. And as they're going, Jesus catches up with him, but they don't recognize him, okay? I'm not sure why, but they they don't. And uh, they don't recognize him at all, and they think, to be honest, he's a little bit clueless at first, because they're they're talking about everything that happened in Jerusalem, namely Jesus dying, and he's like, what happened? Tell me about it. And so they start telling him about it, thinking this guy's got no idea what's going on. And as they're walking along, Jesus begins to unpack the entire Old Testament for them. Every single verse concerning himself. How awesome is that? Jesus goes from memory on the Old Testament. Hey, listen, I was here. This was me back then. This and this and this. And what did the disciples say? All of a sudden, you know, Jesus, he's gone, right? He departs from them. What did they say when they realized that it was him? They say, didn't our hearts burn within us as he showed us everything concerning himself? Wow. Listen, you can see Jesus in the Old Testament. He's there in the Old Testament. 
It's not like he just came into being when he came to earth. He existed before that, right? Okay, he's there. And so even pray, Lord Jesus, show me your glory in creation. Lord Jesus, show me your glory even in the old covenant. Lord, show me your glory in the prophets. Lord, show me your glory in the Psalms. Listen, that should be our heart coming into the word. That should be first. And then after that, we should be asking, God, teach me what you would teach me. Apply it to my life. Make me more like you today, Lord. Listen, I firmly believe that this is where actual, real, moment-by-moment life change happens. It happens when we come to the Word of God, praying that our heart would be open, our eyes would be open to see the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what this verse is saying. It says very simply that we behold We behold the glory of Jesus and we are transformed. We behold and we are changed. That's how God does it. And so ask yourself, do you delight in the glory of the Lord right now? Do you seek it right now? John Owen said this. I think this is really worth us considering for a moment. John Owen said, it is impossible that someone who never meditates with delight on the glory of Christ here in this world who does not make every effort to behold it by faith as revealed in the scriptures, should ever have any real and gracious desire to behold it in heaven. It is sad, therefore, that many can find time to think much on earthly foolish things, but have no heart, no desire to meditate on Christ. Listen, if that's where you find yourself today, just confess that to the Lord. Just invite him. Invite him and pray that he would change that. Just confess it to him. God, I am hungry for so many things, but I'm not hungry for you. God, would you change that? And just pray that to the Lord. And then ask him, ask him to open your eyes to his glory and his greatness. I want to invite you right now, just for a moment, as we're getting close to the end of of the sermon this morning, I just want to invite you just Close your eyes for a moment in your seat. Okay, you're not going to miss anything on the screen. There's not going to be anything on the screen. Okay, you, you don't need to write this down. Just consider in your own heart with your eyes closed in this moment. I want you just to consider the glory of Jesus Christ. Just right now. Just think on his glory. Think on his greatness. I'm going to say a few things here about his glory. And just even pray in your own heart right now. Jesus, would you... Would you show me your glory in a fresh way? Consider the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the full glowing radiance of God Almighty. Jesus Christ upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ is the sum total of all perfection. Jesus shares the Father's throne in glory. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is carrying out his redemptive plan. Jesus has overcome the world, sin, and the grave. Jesus is the destroyer of death. Jesus is the promised seed that will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Jesus is coming again in glory and every eye will see him, every ear will hear him, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. 
That's who he is, believer. That's who he is this morning. He is that great. He is that glorious this morning. He is that awesome. He is perfect in every single way. He commands the storms with the word of his power. He upholds your life in this moment through his word. He is glorious, infinitely, infinitely glorious. Delight in him this morning. Acknowledge it this morning and invite him to flood your heart with his greatness this morning. And when you see his glory, you will be changed. That's it. You can open your eyes if you want to. But when you see his glory, you will be changed. Behold it. Behold his glory and be changed. See it and savor it and be transformed. That's what the Lord's calling us to this morning. Listen, this verse, this passage has a lot to say about beholding the glory of the Lord. The main thing that we need to take away today is that we must behold, we must seek to behold the glory of the Lord to be transformed. But I want you to notice a couple things that this passage says about our sanctification. A couple things that this passage teaches us about how change actually happens in our life. Three things, three things, and I think these are important for us to know and to remember. First of all, Sanctification. It's a big word. I get that. It's okay to use big words sometimes. Um, That's a biblical word. But listen, really, all that it means is it's just talking about, it's a big word to explain God's transforming work in our lives. God's changing work, how he takes us from sinful, fleshly people and changes us to be like Jesus. That's the easiest way to explain it. And so sanctification, three things right here. Coming right out of this passage, sanctification, number one, it actually changes us. Sanctification actually changes us. It's not make-believe change. It's not pretend change. It's not just external change. It's internal change, and it's powerful because it's accomplished through the Holy Spirit. I want you to look back down at verse 18 for a moment. Verse 18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. I want you to notice that word transformed. It's a very important word here in this passage. That word transformed literally means to be changed. The Greek word for it is really the word that we would get our English word metamorphosis from. And the, the Greek word is metamorphou or metamorpha, uh, metamorphosis in English, okay? And metamorphosis is really the, the change that goes on in an insect or in a frog, okay? For example, in some type of living thing to change from one shape and one form of being to another. So, for example, a caterpillar turns into a... Butterfly, you're tracking, okay. A tadpole turns into a frog. Okay, you got it, all right. Okay, so that's that's metamorphosis. That is what the word transformed means right here. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines uh, metamorphosis, or this this word transform, uh, it defines it as change of physical form, structure, or substance, especially by supernatural means. Amazing. Now, a great place for us to think about this is what we've already referred to. We've already talked about the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was 
transfigured, he was transformed. The same word in, in Matthew 17 for, for Jesus' transformation is metamorphosis. That's the same word over here. It's an actual change. Listen, sanctification is an actual change. The reason I bring that up is because I think it's easy for us to fall into a rut where we really don't think that God will actually change anything in our life. Maybe he'll change my desires a little bit. Maybe he'll change a few little things, but he's never really going to change me. I am stuck in this pattern of sin for the rest of my days on this earth. Believer, that's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. It's not to say you're not going to struggle with it for a long time, but that, that is not God's desire. That is not God's plan for your life. Your sanctification will never be perfect in this life, okay? Never. Never. That's happening in heaven. That's happening in glory. It will be perfect then, but it will be progressive in this life. God does not want to see you just left in a rut without hope. The hope of Jesus Christ applies to your situation where you are at right now, today. Sanctification accomplishes an actual change. It actually changes us. Number two, it's already up there. There we go. A sanctification is accomplished progressively. It's accomplished progressively. We see this right in the verse as well. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Degree by degree. Think of a compass. It turns degree by degree from one degree of glory to another. It doesn't happen all at once. Sanctification is incremental. It happens a bit at a time. Sanctification isn't a magic moment. Bam, you walk around the corner and God changes you and you are like the perfect saint never to sin again. It doesn't work like that. It's progressive. It's little by little. And at times, it is so painfully slow that you can't even see the progress yourself. That's why it's important to have other believers around you who can even point out the ways that you've changed in the last couple of years and maybe call you back to the path that the Lord has for you. But listen, Proverbs 4.18 paints us a beautiful picture of sanctification. Proverbs 4.18, it says this, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Think about that for a moment. When the sun comes up in the morning, how bright is it? It's not very bright. It's just the slightest glimmer on the horizon. You can stare at it. If it stayed there, you could stare at it forever and your eyes wouldn't even hurt. But progressively, throughout the morning, leading up to lunchtime, it climbs higher and higher into the sky, brighter and brighter. Walk outside after service today, don't do this, okay? And try to stare at the sun for 30 seconds. Please don't do that. You'll be blind, okay? That won't be good. Uh, so don't do that. Nobody would do that. But it's so bright you can't even see it. Proverbs is saying that the righteous, the transformation in their life is like the climbing of the sun in the sky that shines brighter and brighter until full day. Listen, when is full day in the believer's life? It's heaven, for sure. It's heaven when Jesus Christ comes back, but progressively we are moving in that direction. Another example of this degree by degree change comes from David Pallison. I think this is one of the most helpful illustrations that I've heard about the, the change and also one of the most encouraging that I've heard about the change in a believer's life. David Pallison said in uh, one of his books and Articles, he said that change in a believer's life 
is like a yo-yo. At first he said, this is really encouraging. And then he said, change in a believer's life is like a yo-yo. And I'm like, that's not encouraging at all. Yo-yos go up and down all over the place. And he said, change in a believer's life is like a yo-yo. It's up and down, but it's like a yo-yo that is held in the hands of a faithful man who is walking upstairs. This man controls the yo-yo. This man will get the yo-yo to the top floor. He will not throw it up, but he will get it there progressively. And then at the end of it, he said, this man is Jesus Christ. He holds your life. And your life may be up and down, but it is progressively, degree by degree, going in his direction. And listen, he will get it there. He will do it. That's encouraging. That's encouraging to me. Listen, not only is it accomplished progressively, but also sanctification is accurate in its purpose. It's accurate in its purpose. The third thing, let's bring that one up. Sanctification is accurate in its purpose. God doesn't miss his mark. Do you believe that? God's aim for you as a believer in Jesus Christ is that you would one day be like Jesus. He's not going to miss on that. He's not going to fail on that. He's not going to fall short on that. God always hits his mark. It's accurate in its purpose. Notice what it says in this verse. Verse 18 again. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. The same image. What image? The image of Jesus. That's the image that God has for us. That's what he wants to make us to be like. And he's going to do it. Philippians 1 verse 6, such an encouraging verse for us. For he who started the good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And so if he's going to do it, what's our part? Well, listen, God's part is to get the job done. Your part and my part is to get our eyes on Jesus Christ and to stare at him with everything that we've got. Focus on him. Delight in him. And as you delight in him, just as this verse says... As you see him, as you behold the glory of the Lord, you are being transformed into Jesus' image from one degree of glory to another. We've got to get this. We've got to get our focus. I've got to get my focus fully on Jesus Christ. Each one of us does. But listen, we need to believe firmly in God's promises. We need to behold Jesus' glory continually. And then the last part of God's process for change in our lives is right here at the end of the verse. The last part, God's process for change, we need to bank entirely on the Holy Spirit's help. We need to bank entirely on the Holy Spirit's help. We see this right at the end of verse 18. At the end of verse 18, it, it says this, it, it said it also in verse 17, but it says it again at the end of verse 18, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Think about it for a second. Verse 17 told us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then Paul broke into the whole process of change in a believer's life. And then he lands with this statement, For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Make no mistake about it. The whole process of sanctification, change in our lives is done and accomplished by God as we set our eyes on Jesus Christ, His Son. Listen, the power to change in the Christian life is not you. 
The power to change in the Christian life is not self-improvement. The power to change in the Christian life is the Holy Spirit, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. One of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit we learn in John chapter 16 is that the Holy Spirit would help us to see Jesus. John 16 verse 14, it says this, He, referring to the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Isn't that awesome? The Holy Spirit's not out to glorify himself. He's not out to make much of himself. His whole goal is to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ so that we will stare at Jesus, get our focus on him, and be changed in the process. I love how John MacArthur describes all of this. He says it this way. As they, meaning believers, gaze on the glory of the Lord, believers are continually being transformed into Christ-likeness. The ultimate goal of the believer is to be like Christ. And by continually focusing on him, the Spirit transforms the believer more and more into his image. Listen, it starts with the work of the Holy Spirit, and it ends with the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actively working in your life. He is actively calling you this morning. He is actively inviting you this morning. He is actively wooing you this morning. When you wake up in the morning with that nagging feeling of, I need to be in God's word today, and you resist it, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. That's not a guilt trip. That is God pursuing you where you are because God, the Holy Spirit, knows that if you don't set your eyes on Jesus, you won't be changed that day. And he is inviting you to come and behold the glory of God's Son and then to be changed. Listen, that's God's change process. We want to make it super complicated. God wants to make it super simple. Look at Jesus. Be changed. Behold and be changed. Look on him and live. See and savor Jesus Christ and you will be sanctified. I don't know how else to say it, but God is inviting each one of us to set our gaze on Jesus in a fresh way this morning. I pray that he would do it. Would you pray with me and let's pray that the Lord would really press this into our hearts right now at the end of this message. Let's pray. Lord, we invite you to come and do this, Lord. Lord, we can say that we set our eyes on you. We can pursue that for a while. But Lord, we know that we'll fall back into old habits and old patterns unless you're there working in us, Lord. Oh, Lord, we call out to you this morning, Lord. Come, wash us, Lord. Purify us, Lord. Reset our focus. Reset our vision on Jesus and him alone. Lord, get our eyes off of all of these earthly things that clamor for our attention and help us to see Jesus clearly. And as we behold him, Lord, change us. Lord, you've already promised that if we set our eyes on him, we will be changed. Lord, you've already promised that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that means freedom over sin. That means freedom over conflict in our marriages. That means freedom over animosity in our homes. That means freedom, the freedom of the Lord. Lord, lead us in it. We need you to do it, Lord. But Lord, this morning we look to you. We look to you right now, Lord. As we leave here this morning, we pray that we would continue to look to you, to behold your glory, and to be changed by it. We pray this in your name. Amen.